Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs open their minds to new ideas and concepts that will help you during your entrepreneurial journey and during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas. Welcome to episode 33. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and today you hear from Joseph Manuel. Joseph is a third-degree black belt, the owner of Cutting Edge BJJ, and the creator of Choke Lab. He talked about personal growth in jiu-jitsu, the importance of always helping others, and he also shared the concept, planters or reapers. He mentioned how he listened to the late motivational speaker, Jim Rome, sharing this concept, which inspired the title of this episode, You Reap What You Sow. At the end of the interview, I share my final thoughts from the episode and teach personal development based on my takeaway from the interview. Stay tuned right after Live Jiu-Jitsu's message. Oos. The BJJ Mental Coach Podcast is a proud supporter of the nonprofit organization Live Jiu-Jitsu. Live Jiu-Jitsu supports social projects in Brazil and the United States who offer free jiu-jitsu classes to unprivileged children and young adults in impoverished communities inspiring, impacting, and improving their lives, keeping them away from drugs and crime, creating hope, and creating champions on and off the mats. Your donation helps projects to buy new mats, uniforms, tournament registrations, and the monthly expenses of these projects. As a supporter, the BJJ Mental Coaches donate all the profit of t-shirts and patches sales to Live Jiu-Jitsu. For more information, please visit www.liveju-jitsu.org is www.liveju-jitsu.org. Let me introduce you to today's guest, Joseph Manuel. Joseph is a third-degree black belt in jiu-jitsu under the IBJJF Hall of Fame, Hobson Mora. Besides the owner and head instructor of Cutting Edge BJJ in New Jersey with two locations, he owns JM Visual Media, a photo and video marketing company, plus he's the creator of the popular channel Choke Lab on Instagram. Joseph is also an accomplished world-class competitor. He secured a bronze medal in the adult black belt division at the IBJJF World Championship in 2011, and he also won gold at the 2010 European Championship and the 2009 IBJJF World's Nogi. Joseph is a married and proud father. And Joseph, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, sir. It's an honor to be here with you guys. We are recording this in December 2018, we were supposed to see each other two months ago at a Hobson's camp. We're both guest instructors, and there's, I guess, there's some some miscommunication with your ticket and stuff, and you end up not coming. So I was looking forward to see you there, but didn't happen this time. And hopefully next year we can catch up there in the in the camp again. Yes, yes, that would be awesome. Yeah, I, I got a. Uh a lot of guys came back and they really love the presentation that you had mm -hmm. there and uh, they were raving about it, which was pretty awesome, but I already knew, <laughs> I already knew that. Sort of <laughs> That's cool. So let us know how did a BJJ show up in your life? And you can talk about martial arts, how actually martial arts came in and then when jujitsu show up. Well, I mean, I'm kind of going to skip a little bit, uh, skim on the top there just because it's a, it's a long story, but a beautiful story. And, uh, um, everything happens for a reason. And I believe that some unfortunate things that I went through as a child turned out to be for good. And I was in a few foster homes as a child, unfortunately, but I met this beautiful Brazilian family. It was a young man, a young man, gentleman named Bruno, who I just happened to meet at, a. it was like a skating rink. And, um, and, you know, we connected and, uh, this young man brought me over from where I was. I was in a really bad neighborhood in Newark and he brought me over to a part of Newark where it was really nice. Harrison, which is where our school's located. And, uh, long story short, uh, when his family came over from Brazil, I met his mom and, um, and that's where we connected. This lady kind of took me in as her own and, uh, was very helpful. Very, uh, it was a very important part of my development as a young man coming from the streets to then learn, you know, how to be polite. And, you know, she was a, a Christian woman who, you know, took us to church and tried to teach us some, some morals and stuff like that. And, um, being exposed to that beautiful family, that wonderful family, that the, the Macedos, the Macedos, um, is how I got in contact with the Brazilian culture. 
So one day she was watching global TV and we were doing our chores and I saw a commercial that showed these different sports in Brazil. And all of a sudden I saw like, I think it was, if I'm correct, it was Hoist Gracie. It was like a little skit that they showed her Brazilian Jiu Jitsu where he was doing like an elevator arm lock. And man, it was a purple cow for me. I was like, what's that? And I'm telling you, I would tell her every day, like, oh, I want to go to Brazil. I want to go to Brazil. She's like, when you're done with your studies, if you want to go to Brazil, you sh- you know, you're free to go, but not until you're done with your studies. And uh, things changed after school. Um, I got into a relationship and I had my first child and I couldn't go to Brazil. And uh, But nonetheless, I met um, a gentleman here locally who introduced me to, he gave me the first uh, steps in the art of jujitsu. His name was Mario Marcio Lemos. He was a uh, brown belt at the time under Hoyler and Hicks and Gracie. Mm-hmm. Amazing story. Yeah. And, and you end up developing, you speak fluent Portuguese too, right? You know, because uh, of like, uh, I mean, you understand really well. And yes. I've, 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 I've seen you speaking. So I would say that you speak, maybe you know, <laughs> your vocabulary is not as extensive as you'd like to be. Yeah, said, you know, I've seen you speaking and you, you know, you can get, I don't think you'd get lost in Brazil. I think you'd get around. (laughs) So how do you feel BJJ relate to life? Um, In many ways, I guess the most important way is uh, for me is the way that um, you deal with adversity and you have to find a way to emotionally, mentally, and in jujitsu case, physically overcome that adversity. And it just, it builds character, I mean, you know, at the basic level. You know, that's what I feel jujitsu for me translates to life. And I see it with people here as an instructor. And I was going on 19 years training and teaching where, you know, um, the, we live in a country, right? It's a, the most amazing country in the world for me, right? I've been to many places on the planet. Where I think the U.S. is the most amazing country. And we have a lot of commodities, right? But everything has pros and cons. So the, the, the cons of having a big flat screen TV at home and a refrigerator filled with food and a car that you could, you could drive anywhere you want is that we get comfortable. We get uh, complacent. And then uh, so, you know, I have children and I know that I try to give them as much as I can. And Sometimes they get lazy, you know, they don't want to do things. They don't understand the concept of hard work, that if you want something and it's good for you, you got to put in the work to get it. And then so, you know, jujitsu in the times that we're in now, I get a lot of parents when they bring their children that that's one of the main issues. Like, oh, he just wants to play video games or he doesn't want to help with chores at home or there's no structure at home where, um, you know, there's someone teaching them or enforcing discipline. What I mean is like, you know, they'll just talk however to mom or if there's dinner at the table, they'll sit at the computer and eat, right? So at home, I personally try to make sure that when we have dinner, we all sit at the dinner table. Um, I make sure that the kids are not eating their food or fruits or snacks on the sofa. Like if you want to eat, you got to eat in the kitchen. These little simple things that, and uh, so we deal with that. I deal with that um, on a day-to-day basis. Um, character development and teaching these very basic principles to the children, you know, that they got to put in work. So if they come on the mat and they think they're just going to get an arm lock or a takedown, it's not going to happen like that. You know, you got to really put in the work. You got to do your warm-ups. You got to do your drills. You got to work your dexterity and uh, be knowledgeable of the positions. And it's all that put together is then, then you get the results. So I think that that's one of the most important things that I feel BJJ translates to life because now you have a person or people that when they go out into the job field, when they go out to school, they're go-getters, you know, they're not expecting things to be handed to them. They go out and they get it. They know what they have to do to put the work in to get what they want. So when do you feel that, did you have the spark to find out, you know what, I want to pursue jujitsu. I want this to be my living. How, when was the moment? The moment that the, the spark for me was when I realized the effectiveness of the techniques of jujitsu. So uh, one of the things that personally uh, drove me to want to learn the art of jujitsu was I had a conversation with someone and we were talking about street fights and there was a certain situation I was in one time where I had a boxing background. I used the striking, but the gentleman was still able to grab me, clinch and put me down on the ground. And I just didn't know how to deal with that. So I asked my uncle, I asked my dad, I asked a bunch of people and they're like, Oh, you just never let that happen. I'm like, but what do you do if it does? And, uh, so I was introduced to jujitsu and, uh, it was a gentleman, um, his name is uh, Jonathan Pantaleon. He's a Filipino who trained Kali Eskrima. He was a f- martial arts fanatic. And uh, he said to me, yeah, you know, you ever hear of uh, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu? And I said, crazy what? <laughs> he said, no, not crazy, Gracie. 
And I was like, man, what is that? And I showed him what happened to me in the street. I said, this guy got me in a headlock. And instantly when he got, when he said, grab me in a headlock, I'm going to show you these few variations on how to get out of headlock. That was what triggered it for me. Like personally, meaning like I said, dude, I have to learn this. I have never looked back since then. And then second was, I thought about at that time I had my oldest, my oldest daughters and um, I immediately went home and was, started teaching them the self-defense techniques. That's when, so personally for me, the art to learn it, that's when it triggered for me, but then also to be an instructor or to translate or transmit, promulgate the art to other people. It was immediately to my daughters. I thought, man, I don't ever want them to be in a situation where they, they would you know, have to defend themselves. And if they did, then I feel that jujitsu is effective enough to help them at least. You know? Absolutely. What year did you open Cutting Edge? Uh, we opened in 2004. Okay. And how was the mindset back then? Of course, you made a decision, you know what, I'm going to open up the school. How did you deal with some of the anxiety, some of the fears that come along with starting a new business? How did you deal with it? Did you feel that you handled pretty well? How was it? Yes. Um, so I think that my background kind of uh, prepared me for it. I had a really rough upbringing. Um, and not to go into too many details, but I'll just focus on what we're talking about. I think that a lot of the stuff I went through is what gave me a very sharp and strong mind. I was very strong-willed. And then so the decision came because I felt that, you know, back in the days you had like the, the Gracies who did all the challenge matches, right, to try to prove the effectiveness of the art. And then so we were in a totally different time. At the time when I started, I felt that the safest way for me to go about that, to learn personally, the effectiveness of the art was to test myself in the battlefield of competition. So that was the immediate goal. I wanted to have refined jujitsu and there was only one way to do it outside of the walls of the academy. And that was to test myself in competition. So unfortunately, where I trained, they didn't have the program designed for that. So Mario Marcio was my first professor, would say to me, I said to him, Professor, I want to I want to try to be a world champion. He said, Zed, that's never gonna happen. I said, Why not? He was like, one, first, you're not Brazilian. <laughs> he said, and then he said the second reason why was because there were no facilities in in the United States, or at least in the Jersey area, that uh, could provide for me the training that I needed for that. He said, you need to train with champions, one. He said, you need to train all day if you possibly can. And that's when it triggered. That's why the name of our academy is called Cutting Edge Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, because there were other schools in the area, but no schools that were open seven days a week. There were no schools that had morning sessions. There were no schools that had day sessions during the day. There were no sessions that taught kids classes and adult classes. There were, I'm sorry, no schools. There were no schools that had uh, classes for women. We just went all in. I'm like, listen, I'm going to open this seven days a week. We're going to do classes for children, classes for women. We're going to do competition Jiu-Jitsu. We're going to stick to the roots and make sure we always teach self-defense jiu-jitsu and um, having access to the academy like that and access to other training partners and building my own champions is how we created that environment uh, to, to be able to produce that high level uh, uh, jiu-jitsu, you know. Um, fortunately, we were blessed, Isaac and I, um, you know, we just came from a small town in Harrison and we wound up, you know, we didn't wind up, but we were fortunate to place on the podium of the world championships coming from a very small academy in Harrison, New Jersey. So the, that, was the, that was the mindset for the academy. Of course, like you mentioned, there, were, there was adversity. There were issues that we had to deal with. Um, you know, for example, when we first opened the school, um, we had signed a contract to lease from this one, uh, lease the school at this one location. And unfortunately, the gentleman... Uh, had some problems with the town and the town did not give him the permits to open. So that delayed us. We, we were, we had to wait a whole year and um, there was pros and cons. The pros was it gave me more time to plan. The cons was that we missed out on a lot of opportunities. People who couldn't train with us then finally went to other schools, you know? Um, but we dealt with them. You know, I think that uh, at the very same time when the school opened, I was competing actively like every weekend. And, um, Though I already had uh, a sense of like, uh, you know, resiliency, you know, and commitment, you know, going through what I went through as a competitor, the wins and the losses, the ups and the downs also helped me to build resolve when we did um, meet a lot of adversity. Fortunately for me, though, Gustavo, um, I did a lot of research, right? Like most, you know, most of our listeners, you know, they're probably very intelligent people who do research. And before I opened the school, I did tons of research. So I was a cosmetologist by trade. 
which meant that I had access to hundreds and hundreds of people when they came in the barbershop. And for all the business owners, I would, I would grill them the whole time they were there. I'm like, please tell me about your business. How'd you start your business? And I would listen and write notes, nice. you know? And when they would talk about the pros of the business or cons, I would document that information. So this way, when we opened, I pretty much cleared like 50% of all the problems that normal first time business openers, uh, business owners have when they open their business. And um, that helped me in the beginning when we dealt with little issues and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely, man. Now, if you have to say, you know, since 2004, what was the biggest struggle and what did you learn from it? I don't know if it was the biggest struggle was right at the beginning of holding that, but it's something that stands out that, you know, it was a big struggle. And what did you learn from it? The biggest struggle uh, I feel was uh, at one point it was a financial struggle, right? The school was open and uh, I was working full time still as a cosmetologist and managing the school full-time it was very very difficult and um naturally you know this is one of the amazing things about jujitsu i feel like the other day i was talking to the students i said you know back in the days when the adcc first popped up you know in 1999 um you had a bunch of jiu-jitsu guys they really didn't watch wrestling and then all of a sudden they picked up wrestling and then you have jujitsu guys who probably weren't really good at judo and then they pick up judo. I think now we have some of the most versatile and hybrid takedowns because of that influence from judo and wrestling and the innovation in the jiu-jitsu world, right? You have people who I know have been like, for example, Master Robson, right? I remember when I would teach him English, you know, he didn't know anything of English. And I would tell him, read books and give him tips on how to improve in his English. And now he speaks really good English. And, you know, vice versa. You know, you have people who learn, who are American, who's trained jiu-jitsu, who never learned, they didn't even think about learning Portuguese who now speak Portuguese. And um, that was one of the things that helped me as I was coming up. And we got to a point where I was working and, you know, just, I had to learn the business aspect. You know, it wasn't just go to the academy, train and kill each other, choke each other, guillotines, arm locks. There was a business aspect that I wasn't managing. I thought like, all right, we got bumping classes. Everybody's having a great time. We're all training, we're winning championships. But then there was that financial part. So that was difficult. I had to learn that. Just like we learn Portuguese, just like we learn wrestling, just like we learn judo. We find a way in jiu-jitsu. It helps you to grow as a person. It helps you to become another being in a sense, you know. You start to learn capacities that you never imagined that you would learn. And I had to learn how to manage the business aspect of the school, the financial part. Yeah, and I feel that this is a normal transition that, I don't know, I think most of the jiu-jitsu people go through. <laughs> you know, it's just one of the things that, man, I love jujitsu. You know, I can do jujitsu and get paid. Next thing, I'm like, man, we treating like a hobby, getting paid like hobby. You know, we're not treating like a business. <laughs> it's just part of the evolution. You know, I've been through and I feel that if there are some instructors out, out there, if you didn't go through this, good for you. But I feel that most of the instructors went through this transition. You know, they never thought I'm great. I'm going to pick jujitsu because I'm going to make tons of money, you know, <laughs> Usually it's not like that, you know. So what would you like, what topic would you like to listen to share with the listeners? I always mention here, I bring here people with all kinds of different uh, school owners, other business owners, nonprofit, high performers, just anything related to growth. Talk about growth. So what topic would you like to share with the listeners? I mean, uh, I would say, you know, one of the common topics that, you know, a lot of people discussing nowadays, which I think it's a good one and it, it needs to be promulgated is personal growth. Yes. Um, you know, there are different ways to develop personal growth, right? It's, um, I think that for me, the point I am, that I am in my life right now as a martial arts instructor, as a coach, as a professor, um, as a business owner, and as a citizen mm -hmm. of this earth, I feel that is giving to other people. That idea of, of contributing um, to society by helping other people. And then, you know, we were talking about it this week. And I was mentioning to someone about the, the, the meeting that we were going to have today. And I was explaining to him that uh, I had listened to a comment by Jim Rohn who said that uh, <clears throat> reapers are planters. Mm -hmm. You know? And uh, recently I had a student of mine, Glenn, 
He's been with me for about 10 years now, who comes into a class. It was Saturday morning. The energy was really high. And he's just looking at me really weird, you know? And I'll go, Glenn, is everything okay? He goes, yeah, Professor, everything's okay. He's watching me. He's watching me. I'm teaching. We're, we're going over techniques. I call everybody in. We do a review. And he's like really staring at me in a way they just never stared at me before. And then I said, Glenn, is everything okay? He goes, yeah, Professor, I just, just got to mention something, man. He's like, guys, I've been training with this guy for years. And I don't recall ever a time when he came into the class like with low energy. It's like, I don't ever see you tired. I don't ever see you like down. And he's like, I'm sure that you get tired and I'm sure you get down. He goes, I'm curious, like, how is it that you maintain this type of energy? And then I quoted um, mm -hmm. Jim Rohn. I said, Jim Rohn said that <laughs> um, reapers are planters. And I said to him, it's very difficult for me to come to this school and have low energy because I'm always planting energy into you guys. So I asked him, Glenn, how does it feel when I roll with you? And he was like, well, besides being crushed, my ego being crushed, it feels good. And he's like, I was like, do you ever feel like I tried to hurt you? And he goes, no. I said, how, do you feel inspired? He goes, always. You always leave thoughts in my mind. I want to know, like, how'd you did that? And, and then I said, well, there you go. I planted something in you. I said, we exchange energy in jujitsu. You know, we exchange knowledge. We're, we're talking, but we're not talking. We're talking with the positions. But I'm transmitting this energy to you. And then now put, now let's put that, and, and it, let's look at it from a different perspective. Now, you're just one person. Now, if I train with 50 people this week or 100 people, that energy, right? That's why our school is such a sane environment. Like, people love to come here. I can't get them out. When it's time to go, they're talking in the back. They're talking in the closet. They don't want to leave. Because when you leave, you know you're going to hit the turn. Right here, we're next to the turnpike. When you jump on the turnpike, you're going to get there. The person's not going to take your money and say hello. They're not going to say good morning. They're going to say have a good day. They just take the money and just look away. You know, you're going to go to the store. No one's going to say hello. No one nods. No one says good morning. No one says good day, you know? And uh, so I think that um, that's a microcosm, right? You know, that energy, giving that energy in terms of me as a professor, as an instructor, training with them. I'm their training partner. I'm their coach. I'm their instructor. I'm giving them knowledge, but I'm sharing that energy with them. I think that that translates. I feel that it's very important in life to do that, right? Um, we should be giving. And now, how did you feel that you developed? Is, do you feel that this is something kind of part of you, kind of natural, or things that you've been developing more over the years of the energy or what helped you during this process? It was not natural for me because of the unfortunate upbringing I had. It makes you cold. It makes you hard. It makes you stern. It makes you vindictive. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't understand. Like, unfortunately, I didn't have someone, a mentor that can say to me, hey, Joseph, you know, you shouldn't think that way. Or, you know, certain things happen in life for a reason. I didn't have that. I had to try to figure it out on my own. And so, you know, very early in, in life, like, you know, jujitsu helped me to deal with that, to, to be more of an open person, um, try to communicate more, transparency, and um, giving, right? I love the art so much. But in order to get what I wanted out of it, I had to transmit information to the other students. That little thing went so far in my life, you know, where um, similar to you, I have like a little charitable program where we help, you know, families in Brazil. You know, my mom has like friends over there that take kids, literally like kids out of like homes where they're physically, sexually abused, um, mentally abused, um, some of them with impediments. And um, so we have a little thing here, the, 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 the choke lab um, that little choke lab project that I have, we generate income by selling gear, little belts, little t-shirts and kimonos. And then we take like 75% of that goes toward that project that we have in Brazil for uh, the lady that is, that's working a project there. Her name is Marcia. <clears throat> Marcia is the one who has like kids who, you know, lost their parents or some of them have been really, really extreme cases of physical and sexual abuse and we contribute to that to help them with medication and things like that so jujitsu has helped me to become that type of person that is more of an open person a transparent person a giving person someone who plants and then reaps from that yeah that's incredible now there's a question that usually i ask a little deeper which is what books you know that have you read and impact you so since you're talking about this you mentioned about having mentors that this is huge. I think people underestimate how, how crucial is someone that has more experience than you, you know, and maybe seen some stuff that you haven't seen yet. Now, besides the mentors, what would you say maybe a book or two that really helped you 
doing getting over some of that you mentioned you know when you're younger and you struggle that it wasn't natural for you but what is maybe a book or two that you feel that have impacted you Hmm. that's a good question i would say um the two books that that the two books that i read they kind of go hand in hand because they explain to me uh, they help me to understand certain things. The, the first book I would say is the Bible. Um, and the second book I would say would be Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And you would think that they're extreme, but they aren't. One of them, it gives you a very raw and uncut picture of what we are capable of as human beings. A lot of people say like, well, I wouldn't want to read that book because it has murder and it has, it has incest and it has all these things. It's kind of like a mirror in a sense where it shows us what we're capable of. I read in a book by Gavin DeBecker, the, 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 the Gift of Fear, that they did a study and they were trying to do, you know, get information on how, uh, you know, what is it that causes people to commit crimes, right? Um, I can't get into all the details of it, but I'll tell you the one thing that they did find consistent in every single case that they did research in. The, what they found was that the difference between people who are in prison for murder and all types of crimes and you and I, the only difference between them and us is that they actually committed it. Wow. So we thought of it. That's powerful. Right? Just to give you an example, right? I'm a dad. You're a dad. You ever think, you know, what thought ran through your mind at the thought of someone trying to hurt your kid? Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So you get the point. All right. I digress. Now, so the one book gives me a raw and uncut picture of what we're capable of doing as humans, how far we can go in, 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 the, negative, in the negative sense. But then now we have the Dale Carnegie's book which then explains to you what is it that drives people, right? The basic mechanisms that drive people, uh, like recognition, right? There was a story in the book of, a, of a, he went to go to a, a mental institution. He speaks to the warden, takes him on a tour, and there was a lady in there, and he asked him, he's like, is there anything, you know, is there really something wrong with these people? He goes, no, there's nothing wrong with them. Technically, when they did the research and they checked the brain, there's no damage to the brain, but there's something wrong with them. They're, they're insane. And uh, he goes to this one cell where there's a lady there, and every time he walks in, you know, she, has, she gives birth to a new kid, and she cooked a new apple pie. And then he's like, what's the story with her? Well, the story with her was that she saw her mom. Her mom was a home, you know, homebody. She cooked and cleaned. She took care of the house, and she wanted to be just like her mother. But when she got married, the gentleman that she married never acknowledged the food that she made. She would change the curtains. He never said nice curtains. He would sit down and read the paper and ignore her. Didn't want to have children. So what she did was she created her own reality in her mind, right? She was like, you know what? This guy's not going to give it to me. So she lost her mind, right? I'm doing air quotes. Where she created her own reality in her mind. So um, in, the, in Dale Carnegie's book, it just talks about that concept, that basic concept of acknowledging someone, right? And you'd be surprised what drives people. And sometimes it could be the positive or negative, right? Some people do stuff for attention. It could be positive. Some people do stuff for attention. It could be negative, right? Like, you know, like I have a daughter, unfortunately, you know, at a certain point in her life, she started cutting herself. You know, she got emotional and she started cutting herself. It was for attention, you know? Um, but the point is that those two books, um, for me, they helped me in that aspect of personal development because it started to clear up for me and give me explanations of like the reason why people do what they do. Yes. Why was I doing what I was doing? Right. So for example, as a competitor, uh, there was something that drove me as a competitor was that I didn't have uh, the normal upbringing uh, that children have. Like, you know, you go to school and maybe you're in a play and your mom and dad come to watch you at the play or you have a graduation, your mom and dad come watch you at the graduation or you play football, baseball, and you have your family in the stands. You know, I did not have that. I had no family. So uh, for me as a competitor, it felt it gave me a sense of self-worth, you know, um, you know, where I went out and, and did what I had to do. And then I got the, the praise, right? The, the recognition for what I did. I didn't have anybody in stand, but I got the gold medal, you know? So it helped me as a person, helped me to understand that. It gave me a picture, a, a huge picture using those two books in terms of like what we're dealing with when, it, when we talk about people. Dale Carnegie's book gives you the solution. It gives you a solution, 
right? Um, very, very interesting book. I recommend it to everyone um, that I come in contact with. And then um, now I use that information and I have a really good way of understanding and a method on how to deal with people. Now, I know that your school, it's you know, been involved with competitions for a long time. And of course, your vision about competition has evolved. Absolutely. There's, you know, the same way it did with me and a lot of people have been on the road for a while. So how do you talk with your students about competitions or what is the motive that are getting behind to help them to be like, hey, this is, this is something interesting that you should try at some point, at least try once. How do you talk with them about competition, about getting involved with if you still do, still guys go to tournaments and stuff, right? Yes, yeah. Yes. So how do you how do you bring that up to them? Well, um, the first thing I do is I try to make sure that um, we we don't push competition at our academy. I never did. Um, that was just something that I personally did, and then obviously that trickles down to the other students who want to follow my. Yeah, organically, students start yes, kind of doing. Yeah. I always push self-defense and health and fitness through the martial arts. So what we do is, let's say I'm on the mat and Gustavo's a new student. He comes in and I obviously see that he is talented. This is the type of talent that I cannot keep in these four walls. So then I will pull Gustavo to the side and say, hey, we have a group of guys that get together on these days. I would like for you to come and join the competition team. So they're, they're selected to join the competition. No one could just come in and be like, oh, I want to compete. And nor do we just throw everyone into competition so we can have big numbers. Um, that's the first approach, you know. And then once they're on the team, then separate from the other guys, I can put the type of pressure on them that they need to be able to be successful on the competition team, you know, push on them the idea of consistency, um, investing in their knowledge, right, doing research, building that um, – competition game right like uh like we say streetwise i say mat wise right you could be at the academy and be tough here with your teammates but then you go to the tournament and you flop because you're dealing with a totally different animal out there you know so first i separate them first i scout them out then i separate them and once i get them together and they're in the environment where the competitors are together then we implement all these um different aspects that are going to help them be to be successful you know the physical aspect you know i always say that jujitsu it's kind of like, uh, it's like a triangle. Right? I tell them, you know, at the top of your triangle, it must be technique. And then you have speed and strength uh, or, 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 or um, conditioning. And then you have strength. Like you have to work on your technique first. You have to be strong to be able to implement some of the techniques when you're dealing with some savages out there. You have to have, um, you know, cat-like reflexes. So you have to work on your speed conditioning. You know, and um, I, I tell them that's what you need. That's the basic. And then and technique, it falls under a few other categories. You have another triangle under techniques. You know, you have your takedowns, you have your groundwork, you have offense, you have defense. There's so many other aspects to techniques, you know. And um, once they understand that, now the job is to get them to start working on tackling these, these, these projects, right? These, these things that they have to accomplish. And then you see the results, you know. Let's say if you have to give a suggestion to some of the, maybe some structures out there, you know, have your competition team, like I said, there's some people that, man, do really well to school. Sometimes they have a hard time transferring to the competition and you've been competing for a long time too. And you're human, like everyone who had bad days before that you're not able to focus and not perform the way you want it. You know, that's happening with, that happened with me. And I think most of the comp the high level competitors out there, if you say like, no, I never had a bad day before. That's, <laughs> you know, usually that doesn't happen. So how do you transfer th that experience that you have to some of the students that you see they are struggling or like, man, this guy does awesome at the school, but you see that is not being himself there. So what are some of the suggestions that you give to, to them? Um, here's an example. I just had a, last night we had our Christmas dinner and it was a, a, a competitor there that we gave the competitor of the year award. His name is Christian Villegas and Christian uh, for a while, he's a blue belt. And um, for a while in the blue belt division, man, he just couldn't win. You know, he just, he'd go to compete and he'll lose and he'll lose and he'll lose. And I would just pull him to the side. And the first thing I do is I clear out of the way that winning or losing to me is not the most important thing. I said, listen, champ, I don't care about winning or losing. Just go out there, have a good time, and we'll look at the video, we'll do the research, and then we'll come back. So that helps, right? 
because they don't feel like that stress for me that, man, I got, you know, sensei's going to be upset with me, professor's going to be upset with me. So that's the first thing I do. And then second, when they're dealing with that issue, right, uh, they're dealing with the, the ups and downs or something, in this case, Chris's case, he was just down all the time. I told him consistency is the key to success, you know, and I tell him a story about, like, my first championship, you know, my first championship, I lost. So I had, um, I, that, that was, a, that was a, a point in my life where I had to make a decision. I was like, was I going to let that pulverize me or was I going to overcome it? And I decided to overcome it, you know? And I was like, you're going to do this. And no one is exempt from this. You know, you could see a guy who wins, wins, wins all the time, but eventually he's going to lose, you know? And there's guys who lose, lose, lose. And eventually if you stay consistent and dedicated, you will win. And this year he ended the year um, in an amazing fashion. Uh, two weeks ago, he, he was at the New York open and made it to the semifinals place for bronze. And um, just last weekend, he went to a local tournament here and completely wiped out the division. So he ended 2018 with a bang. And now he's going to go into 2019, you know, with a lot of confidence. And I shared that with all the students. I said, guys, if Chris had let those losses get to him, he would have quit a long time ago. We wouldn't be here giving him the Athlete of the Year award. He wouldn't have gotten that gold medal from the uh, Pride BJJ Championship. And he wouldn't have been on the podium for the New York Open. You know, I know what to expect from him in 2019. You know? Yeah, that's awesome. And the growth of the the experiences the losses of course when you're going through you don't want to hear that it's like i don't want to hear about the graph i want to win <laughs> you know but when you look back you know uh the losses that we had there you know a lot of a lot of them are blessings you know for us to really learn from that opportunity for growth you know, yes, yes that you made that uh, eventually didn't make the same mistake because now you're aware of it as long as you have the open mind to, like you said, take a look at the tape and let's, let's see what went wrong. You know, let's uh, pinpoint here exactly what happened and not blaming anyone. Oh, the ref said that, da, 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 da. like, no, no, it comes down to this. Maybe the ref made a mistake is a fact. Fact, it happened. We don't have control. But the most important thing is how can you prevent to even give a chance to the ref to make a mistake? You know, like, what is it? Oh, this guy, he didn't hold the side mount enough three seconds. If he wasn't that, I'm like, no, no, no. Why did he get in your side in the first place? You know, yeah, maybe the ref messed up. He gave the point to and had two seconds. But the point is, he shouldn't even be there in the first place. So, <laughs> yeah, he messed up. That sucks. But let's break down why did he get, why did he almost get the three seconds? So, as long as people have, they take the full responsibility that, you know what, I don't have control of the ref or whatever's going to happen. Let's learn from the mistake. And then that will be a positive experience, winning or losing. I absolutely now, agree. What would you say that it's a one high-performance habit that you have daily that has influenced your personal life, professional, jiu-jitsu, just whatever you want? It could be reading, could it be meditating. It, it doesn't matter. It's just something that you feel that you do daily. Um, wow, high-performance habit. Um, one is consistency in everything that I do. Time is important, like making sure that I'm on time. That's one of the top things. Um, scheduling everything so this way I make it to work on time, I make it to class on time, I start the classes on time. Um, even for social media posts, I'm very punctual with the social media posts because I run a business and, you know, um, on social media, you know, it's a face of your business. Everything, you know, punctuality is one high performance um, um, thing that I do on a day-to-day -day basis. Consistency will be another one. Just very consistent in what we do. That's a great, yeah, right there. That's really, a, it is a high performance habit, you know, create the habit of consistency. You know, we had uh, Shaolin here and that was his episode that consistency is the key to success. So he's funny. He said, like, uh, I created a habit that I don't snooze. I put the clock, no matter what that is, the time is I'm up. So that's something that he developed since he was young. So that's a big thing for him that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jocko is a big you know, guy that talks a lot about that, about the consistency in the time. And and he does it and works for him, you know, like whatever the time is, like, uh, I'm up, you know, <laughs> and go with it. So that's a great habit. It's a great consistency uh, habit as well. Yes, yes. So what did you say is the best advice you've ever received? And you can say jujitsu, personal profession, anything that comes to your mind. Man, um, actually, Professor, um, I, the one, some of the best advice I got one time was from you. Oh, yeah. um, when I was, um, I was down. Uh, I wasn't down. I was just, you know, you have expectations when you go compete. 
And obviously, you know, nobody throws their hat into the ring to then lose, especially when you go to the world. So that, that takes years of planning, years of preparation, you know. And I, I lost to Mafasina in the semifinals. And I was on the podium and you came over. And, um, I, you know, I made a comment. And I was like, man, you know, I got a bronze medal. And you just looked at me like this. Like, and you were like, bro, do you even understand what it takes to get on the podium of the world championships? Like, you shouldn't be down right now. And then, you know, you, you hit me with statistics. Like, you do the numbers on how many people register. How, do, do the numbers on how many people actually are in the divisions. And out of those numbers, how many make it to the podium? There's only four that make it to the podium. And right there, I thought to myself, wow. I'm like, that was some amazing advice. I just, I, you know, it, it's, it's, I share it with all the students all the time, you know. Yeah, because I feel sometimes the competitor being hard on themselves, they forget about, especially when you look at it, at the world, for example. Man, when you see the amount of incredible competitors that do not make to the final eight, you know, to yeah. actually make to the second day, it's huge. You know, when you see the next day and you're like, oh, my God, this guy didn't make. Oh, my God, this guy didn't make because sometimes it's just like there's no oh, warm up match. It's just like, boom, <laughs> you know, right away you're going against another very, very high level. And I, and I tell you what, Jose, maybe there's something for you to mention to your students as well. And I mentioned to mine and mentioning in videos, I tell the people every time. And I use myself that every time I go to compete, I'm in a warm up area. Sometimes can get a little bit of the butterflies. And I just think about gratitude of you. Just dude, just think the opportunity for you to be there competing. And I'm not even saying words could it be a, a little local tournament. You know, you've been, you've been teaching for a long time, you know, and, and you know how many people you've seen in your life, come and go and train in jiu-jitsu or people that that you know that 10 years ago they used to train and they saw you man i wish i could train again but i got hit with life and i got responsibilities and i cannot train or someone that trained like man i'm sorry i can't afford to travel i'm injured i'm scared or whatever so for everyone out there who's competing and when you know warm-up area just say thank you for the opportunity because there's thousands and thousands of people would love to be in your position i'm not even talking about world championship i'm talking about just a local tournament a lot of people cannot even do that sometimes again get hit with life whatever that is so i feel that when you go in just really enjoy and that would help my mood too of being like man enjoy because one day for the listeners to to everyone one day you're going to get very 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 old to the point that there's no way you're going to compete and going to remember man how much I miss those competition days that, you know, that little, uh, that little tension right before the adrenaline, but it's not. So make sure that when you want a warm up area, I always tell them, man, just embrace that. I mean, like, man, that's what I want. No, I signed up. I flew here. I did whatever, made the choice and just take as always the tournaments as opportunity for yes, growth. Yes. Of course, we want the outcome. Of course, you want to do well. But I started, I feel that a big, I've been doing jiu-jitsu for 30 years. I would have to say that the first 20 years, it's one mindset from 1989 to next year will be 30 years to the last close to 10 years when I start to study more men, uh, mental coaching and personal development. Of course, my view is completely different, you know, and when I start to develop a different mindset, I'll definitely take a lot of gratitude in a warm-up area. And I think everyone should should keep that in consideration. So whether you make it a podium or not, you know, it's just be grateful that you have the opportunity to be there because a lot of people cannot even train. You know what I mean? Yeah, I actually say something to the students now because of that advice that you had given me, which is I say to them, guys, when you're in third or second place, smile. And they'd be like, why, professor? So you could practice when you get to the gold. Mm -hmm. I tell all of them, I said, I want you smiling. I don't care if you got second or third, smile. You got to practice. Even there, you have to practice and keep the same mindset. Be thankful, smile. So this way, when you get to get to the gold medal, um, you know, podium, you've already been practicing, you know? Yeah. For all the hardcore competitors out there, be like, yeah, yeah, like, just practice that, you know, yeah. take the advice. It's, it's a good one. Maybe you can see some of my pictures in second place is smiling too. You know, it's part of it. It's all good. Yes. So what would you say is a, 
one advice that you give to the younger Joseph when you started cutting edge, if you have an opportunity to have a little talk with him and say like, hey, you know, I've seen, you know, I've seen what happened for the past 15 years. I'd like to give you one advice. It's tough to say one advice, but what that would be. <laughs> Wow. One, one piece of advice I would give to younger Joseph, huh? You know, fortunately for me, Gustavo, like I was the type of kid, like I see other people make mistakes and I like, if I see somebody step on something and slip, I just go right around. You know, I wasn't the type of person to go in and make like a bunch of really bad mistakes. Cause I was a knucklehead. You know, I try to watch everything and everyone else did. So fortunately for me as a, when we started the business and coming up in the art, I think that I did pretty much everything right to be successful as a competitor and as a, as a business owner, you know, obviously we're not perfect. So I would say the best advice I would have given myself would be to not to train, not to train so hard in the academy, um, trying to figure everything out on my own. Like, I would say, Joseph, ask more people about, you know, things. Like, for example, at one point, we had this gentleman that walked into our school, uh, an entrepreneur, phenomenal athlete, very successful person. Um, His name is uh, Lewis. And um, he comes in one day, and I asked him, how'd you find out about us? And he goes, "Uh, man, somebody referred me to you. I go, okay. This guy was an absolute savage, Gustavo. Like, he was really good. And he told me, like, I said, what do you train? He goes, man, I used to train with Henzo in New York. I used to train with Henzo down the shore. He train all these different places. And um, so he was about, I say about 190 pounds, 195, solid though. I was like 141, something like that, 135, 141. And, you know, every time I rolled with him, you know, I had to be on my A game and um, I'd always submit him. So one day he just comes out. He's like, dude, I've never rolled with a 140 pounder like that. Like they make me tap out. And he said, you're like a good product on the shelf that no one knows about. And then he says to me, I'm going to show you something. I said, what do you mean by that? He goes, I'm going to show you. And he went and he pulls up like uh, Google. He goes on the laptop, pulls up Google. And he goes, I was searching you on the internet. He said, I couldn't find you anywhere. And I was like, at that time, I had no idea what he was talking about. Like I was just too busy training, you know? And uh, so he he says, you need to fix this, Joe. He said, because you have great jujitsu, you have a great environment, it's good. But he was like, no one's going to know about you. And right there, he commenced to, he started giving me like the initial lessons on social media, at that time, search engine optimization. He was like, I want you to buy these books, that book, this book. And he was like, I'll come back and we'll talk about it. Um, Organically, after all the research I did from the information he gave me, I was able to get our website on the very first page of Google on the many different queries organically. I didn't pay Google for anything from the information they had given me. So I probably could have learned that when we started, but I was too busy training so hard that I didn't make the time to, to do the research for those things. You know, he had to come practically grab me by the ear, like, come here, boy, you know, sit down. I'm going to teach you. And so I think that that would have been helpful for me to take some time. Cause I was a, fan, you know, you know, you know, I'm, so, I'm, I'm singing to the choir here. I was a fanatic, just want to train all day in the morning, at night, during the day, at work, watching videos when I could have taken time to maybe talk to someone who was an expert at, you know, I don't know, maybe marketing or advertising or finances, you know, or, you know, something like that. That would be the advice I give myself. You know, it, and it's part of the journey. If you have done, you know, that before, you know, maybe being a different completely different situation in your life you know you're happy and in a position that you're at right now we had to go through you know yeah. we had we had to go through all those uh, <laughs> you know, struggles per se you know or lessons let's say to be where we at today so what are you currently excited about what's going on with the school with choke lab for people who don't know you know just check out uh choke lab on instagram uh amazing videos man i always tell you have always work with really good quality your videos are incredible and i'm not saying this just 
because you're, of course, you're doing an interview where people can just check for themselves and see the quality of the videos. So what's, uh, what are you excited about? What's going on? Man, you know, um, I, I, we have some things coming up for 2019 um, in relation to Choke Lab. Obviously, I took the advice that you gave me, some other great advice that you gave me, which was to create like a Choke Lab sponsored event. And it was a huge success. We did a seminar with uh, Jezri Matuda and we had about, you know, almost 80 attendees. Man, It was absolutely amazing. Um, so this year, I like to do a few more of those. Um, and um, I'm actually working on creating kind of like a Choke Lab studio where we can, you know, do instructional videos and interviews and stuff like that. Um, like you said, it's my goal to make sure that we post great content. You know, there's a lot of a uh, lot of stuff on the internet and I'm, I'm not criticizing condemning anyone for what they post, but we just try to make sure we stay away from ears being drained and violent fights in the street. You know, I don't post that. I just stick to jujitsu and I leave those other guys to post that stuff. So, um, that's one of the things that I try to focus on, making sure that it's clean and it's, and I'm not posting MMA, which is cool. Other people post MMA and jujitsu. I'm just focused on jujitsu, gi no gi and that's it. Um, and, uh, one of the reasons why we created that was because, <clears throat> uh, there was some, remember that expo that Robson did? It was the Jiu Jitsu Expo where he had the super fight against Bahumpia. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember that all the you know BJJ media outlets were posting the results of the event, and um, but no one had posted the result of Robson's event. So uh, I'm kind of like you. I'm like a numbers guy, man. You know. And I remember that of all the super fights that they had, Robson was the only one who finished his opponent. And, you know, we come from the old school where it's like, you know, we're about to finish, man. You know, like that's the objective of the art. And uh, I was really upset, man. I couldn't find anything anywhere. And there was this one guy, I don't remember his name right now. I would love to give him credit for, for the research he did. But there was this one gentleman that interviewed Robson and he posted like just little bits and pieces of the match. But I had to scour the internet looking for that. And it made me upset. And that's how Choke Lab was started. Because I was like, you know, there are a lot of people out there that do so much for the art. And, you know, I'm, of course, I'm not criticizing uh, Racing Magazine or anything like that. They cannot possibly cover the entire world of jiu-jitsu. It's just impossible. And so I thought that I would contribute in that fashion, you know. I wanted to contribute to bring exposure to people who are doing great things in the martial arts community, even if it's just a technique, you know. And um, that's my way of giving, you know. No one pays me for that. Um, but I can tell you that posting certain videos has helped a lot of guys with seminars. It's helped oh, guys with like private lessons and it's a, it's a really good thing, you know? So I'm excited about that. I'm excited to take the energy that we have from choke lab to then now make it into something, you know, a little bigger where we could have some choke lab sponsored events with some real elite grapplers, you know, we have some good stuff lined up for 2019. I don't want to expose, I don't want to mm-hmm. count my chickens before they hatch and expose anything, but uh, be on the lookout. That's what, that's one of the things that we're excited for. And, um, and it's all positive, you know, it's all helping yeah. the growth of, of the art. Uh, just thrown out there, you mentioned every time, you know, someone mentioned an example, like you just said, you started something because you're kind of annoyed by something, you know, <laughs> and you decide, you know what, I want to do something about it. And uh, episode five with the Pete Roberts from Origin, the title of the podcast is Let Your Irritations Inspire You. Okay, I got to check that one. Which is like, you look at it like, I don't like that. Or like, well, either you keep complaining or you do something about it. <laughs> so a lot of the businesses are like that. It'd be like, dude, I think I can do like a better job. I don't have, I'm not happy. And that's, I mean, me promoting tournaments in Arizona came just like that. I'm like, dude, no one's going to do anything about that. That is awful. This is disrespectful <laughs> to the, the competitors, to the teachers, to, the, to everyone. And then like, okay, then I started doing it. And I've been doing it for 20 years. Wow. But, um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's awesome. And, and the channel is, uh, is really good. So people didn't have a chance. We got, well, like right now we're December, 2018. I saw there's like over 160,000 now. Yes. Like people following. Yeah, man, it's a, a great momentum. So, for uh, the listeners getting close to the end of the interview, so make sure that uh, just stick around for my final thoughts. If you're listening this for the first time, after the interview, I always do some research and what the guests talk about. So I try to learn more, which is a cool thing about the podcast. Every week I can research new topics. So I've been learning a lot in the past six months. So I go and uh, do some studying. And But before we go, a message that you'd like to leave to everyone out there, Plus, anything that you want to give a shout out or 
to your school my website how they can get in contact with you whatever you want awesome awesome i mean i guess the message that i could leave with everyone is uh you know we have to be the change that we want to see in the world man you know you look around you see what's going on we have the power in our hands to make a difference you know with the people immediately around us and through social media we can reach people across the globe and so I'm sure most of you guys are already doing that. And uh, like they say, you know, even the best need to be reminded every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, um, and I, I'd like to say thank you. Um, um, well, first of all, thank you, Professor, for the opportunity. And of course, thank you to all my students. And, um, and thank you to Master Robson. As, uh, I think, and thank you to Jiu-Jitsu. You know, I, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you if it wasn't for Jiu-Jitsu. It's one of those things, man. I find myself sometimes in certain positions or certain parts of the planet that I would have never visited or been there if it wasn't for jujitsu. True. Yeah, you know. Yeah, if people know your web, uh, your website, your school website. Yes, yes, yes. So you know, we we do the same thing, right? We're out there working. I work here at the school, and I work outside the academy as well. You know, I have two kids in college, so we got to put in that work. And we're doing mm-hmm. seminars. You can reach me at um, our website is uh, cuttingedgebjj.com. And uh, on Instagram, uh, Zekobra. And, um, <clears throat> you know, um, we're always posting good content. You know, anybody that's interested in, um, in getting idea more or less how to build their social media pages in a very professional manner, you know, reach out to me. I can give you some tips or I can help you. We have a video, uh, video uh, visual media company where I help businesses, um, you know, build their profiles and attract followers, certain demographic, things like that. I could definitely help with that. You can find us uh, uh, on um, an Instagram, JM underscore visual media. Awesome, dude. Being a great interview. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. And for all the listeners, just stick around for my final thoughts. Who's? Let me share with you my final thoughts from the interview with Joseph Manuel. If you're listening just to the final thoughts, Joseph is a third-degree black belt from Hobsamora, the owner of Cutting Edge BJJ, and the creator of the popular Instagram channel, Choke Lab. Hopefully, you were able to grab at least one good takeaway from the interview. He talked about personal growth in jiu-jitsu, the importance of always helping others, and my main takeaway was when he said, planters or reapers. He mentioned how he listened to the late motivational speaker Jim Rome sharing this concept, which inspired the title of this episode, You Reap What You Sow. As you already know, after each interview, I like to research about my takeaways so I can learn more about it and share with you to the best of my ability. And hopefully the message can inspire and impact and or improve your life in some way. Let me ask you this. Do you have a favorite motivational speaker? Personally, My top three favorite old-school motivational speakers are Les Brown, Wayne Dyer, and Jim Rohn, whom Joseph mentioned in the interview. I have listened to Jim Rohn talking about the law of sowing and reaping in many different situations, and he is incredible. If you haven't watched any of his content, just search on YouTube for Jim Rohn, R-O-H-N, and there are hours and hours of his content for free. The three individuals who I just mentioned made a huge impact in my life. And if you put the work, it can impact yours as well. Jim Rome said, quote, learn to work harder on yourself than you do on your job. If you work hard on your job, you make a living. If you work hard on yourself, you make a fortune, unquote. With that being said, go seek knowledge. Like Pedro Valente said at episode 32, The Way of the Warrior, You don't have to invest money if you're struggling right now. However, you can invest your time or invest even more of your time if you're already studying to gain knowledge so later you become even wiser. Now, why do we need wisdom? So we can make wise choices. Let's say you made the wise choice to start investing your time in studying personal growth or you want to invest even more time if you're already studying. First, you plant the seed. Keep in mind that your words are seeds. Your destiny is shaped when you first sow in your mind, in your heart, then into the universe. Now that you have planted the seed of studying personal growth, for example, you need to water the seed every day, which means read, listen, or watch information daily, even if it's only 10 minutes per day. No problem. It's better than nothing. 
And little by little, you can increase the time of working on yourself. So during harvest, you will be able to reap the benefits of your efforts and it will reflect in your personal and professional lives accordingly. Basically, this is the law of sowing and reaping. The foundation of this law comes from the Bible, quote, for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap, unquote. Life is about sowing and reaping. It's all about seeds. Now, what kind of seeds are you sowing? Bad seeds produce bad fruit. And of course, good seed produces good fruit. What thoughts dominate your mind every day? Negative thoughts lead to negative emotions, which in turn lead to negative behavior. During the research for the final thoughts, I was able to expand my knowledge on this topic since I had listened only to Jim Rome's point of view about the principle of the law of sowing and reaping. And I was able to learn some information. Now, I'm going to share the top seven interesting principles I found about the law of sowing and reaping and how you can possibly utilize in your life. Some are short, some are ex I expanded a little bit. I hope you like. Principle number one. The law applies to everyone, which means whether you believe in the Bible or not, the law is irrevocable. It's a law of life. Principle number two, you reap what you sow. It's all about your choices. You probably heard me mentioning this quote from Tony Robbins, quote, it's in your moments of decision that your destiny is shaped, unquote. Remember earlier when I asked you? Why do we need wisdom? So we can make wise choices. The law of sowing and reaping is truly agriculturally. You plant a seed and you get the life that is contained in that seed. And that never changes. Joseph mentioned how he has been sowing positive energy to the environment of the academy for years. And now he reaps the harvest of providing an academy with world-class instruction and a positive family environment. Imagine if he had planted a negative and egocentric seed. Things would be different. With that said, keep working on your personal growth so you can keep making wiser and wiser choices. Principle number three, we reap more than we sow. If you think about it, no fact is more significant than this one. Reaping more than we sow is fundamental to the laws of the harvest. If this were not the case, no farmer would plant a thing. Principle number four, we reap later than we sow. Basically, we reap in a different season than we sow. As you already know, nothing good grows overnight. The farmer must be patient in order to see the fruits of his labors, and you must do the same. If you train jiu-jitsu, you already know how patient you need to be with your progress. It takes time to master systems, techniques, timing, and so forth. So you need to consistently water your seed. How? Showing up, going to classes according to the reality of your schedule, and show up. Maybe you can say, Gustavo, my schedule is insane, dude. I can only train once a week. I prefer not even training. No, go to class once a week. Maybe if your school offers an open mat class, you can get some extra training so you can keep watering your jiu-jitsu seed. And whenever you have a chance, you can shoot for twice a week and so forth. Keep training, be patient, and you will reap the benefits in a future season. Principle number five, we reap in kind to what we sow. From the top of your head, if you have to choose one thing to plant, what that would be? Whatever that is, you should expect that. If you decided to plant apple seeds, you should expect to harvest the apples. Keep in mind that this law works both positively and negatively. Listen to these two quotes from the Bible. Quote, the one who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward, unquote. The other quote is, quote, whoever sows injustice reaps calamity, unquote. Which brings me back to remind you about working on your personal growth to continue making wise choices. Those who sow anger should expect to receive what anger naturally produces. If you sow positivity, you got the picture. Principle number six, we reap the wrong others have sown. As I mentioned, the law of sowing and reaping also has a negative side. 
Of course, there are some exceptions due to the fact that we live in a world with natural and economic disasters. A farmer may sow properly and have his crop destroyed by a tornado, or he may reap a good crop and not be able to reap a reward from it because the economic factors in his country. Let me ask you this. Do you remember the first time, if you ever, took care of a big group of kids, maybe in a party or in a class? I'll tell you what, if you did, you were probably exhausted right after. Am I right? For those who don't know, I started teaching jiu-jitsu having my own team back in 1995. During this time, I took over the kids' program at Associação Atlética Tijuca, one of Adela Riva's affiliate school for extra experience and income. And there were 15 kids. And my guess is that the previous teacher let them do whatever they wanted because those kids were all over the place as I was trying to survive and control my first kids' class. Do you remember Arnold Schwarzenegger in Kindergarten Cop? If you haven't watched, basically he gets back to the hotel after teaching the kids and collapsing in bed. That was me when I came home at 7 p.m., kicked my shoes off and collapsed in bed and woke up in the next day. What is the point of the story? I reaped the wrong others have sown. The previous instructor planted the seed that the kids could do whatever, and I reaped the madness. Now, if you currently or someone you know is going through a situation personally and or professionally in which you are reaping the wrong others have sown, I would like you to reflect on the principle number seven to learn a few options of how to deal with it. Principle number seven, we cannot do anything about last year's harvest, but we can about this year's. There is a quote that I always share with you in the podcast, quote, The fact cannot be changed. Only your response to the fact can be changed, unquote. You must understand and act on this final law of the harvest. We cannot do anything about last year's harvest, but we can about this year's. Waste no time in dwelling and focus on progress. I found an article on Bible.org titled The Laws of the Harvest. In the article, they mentioned that in order to act on this principle, the article suggests you to understand and apply at least four important concepts. And here they are. Number one, we cannot do anything about last year's harvest. Number two, we must learn to live with the consequences of our failures. Number three, we must commit ourselves to this year's harvest. And number four, We must not judge our harvest by the standards of the world and its ideas of success. Keep working on your personal growth so you can keep making wise choices and keep sowing seeds of discipline, perseverance, and patience, and you will reap the harvest you desire. Not what society expects you to harvest, but reaping the harvest you desire. Oh, We're glad you were able to join us for this episode of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. But the lesson doesn't end here. Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to the BJJMentalCoach.com. Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's the BJJMentalCoach.com.